It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Daryl Schimmick, Chief Executive Officer at Versa Integrity Group, a leader in testing, inspection, and certification services. Daryl has spent his career in environmental and industrial services, beginning as a management trainee at Chemical Waste Management. He has worked in the C-suite for over 30 years in senior positions with the brand companies, the Brock Group, and Veolia Industrial Services. His operational experience includes scaffolding, insulation, painting, demolition, and dismantling, hazardous waste transportation, treatment, and disposal, environmental remediation, and nuclear facility decamination and decommissioning. Daryl holds a BA in economics from Alma College, where he currently serves as vice chairman of the board of trustees. He is also chairman emeritus at Mercy Home for Boys and Girls in Chicago. Daryl and Jean, his wife of over 35 years, live near the southeast shore of Lake Michigan, where they enjoy golf, biking, and time with their family. Daryl Schimmick, welcome into the corner office. Thank you, Brant. It's great to be here. Oh, wonderful to have you here as well. I know we spoke a few months ago, and there's a lot to get caught up on, and uh, can't wait to talk more about your career and you know what's going on, obviously, with uh, all that you're doing, uh, particularly during the pandemic, which has been a busy time for Versa Integrity. But we always kind of like to start at the beginning and uh, you know talk about the early days. So t- tell us a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Sure. I was born uh, in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, mm-hmm. Grew up on the Far East side of Detroit. Um, the uh, Catholic caboose in a family <laughs> of four. Uh, my okay. brother my brother graduated from high school the day I was born. Um, wow, that's sisters, a big gap. Yeah. My sisters were uh, 12 and nine years older than me. Gosh. And so I yeah. I, uh, I, I had all the benefit of older parents who were um, uh, well-trained, well-trained or, or, or <laughs> tired of it, but, uh, but, but also, you know, really kind of grew up with, uh, two dads. My brother was mm. kind of my young dad uh, and, yeah. and my idol growing up and, um, uh, had a very, um, you know, kind of great childhood, uh, an intact family, um, Dad uh, was the director of safety for the Bud Company, which was a supplier to the big three, um, which is ironic because I would later go on in life to uh, um, 
work in businesses where the big big part of my job was worrying about health and safety of employees. So right, I guess right. it was in my DNA. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, and, kind and of dad a, had that career his, his whole his whole career. Dad was uh, dad was a uh, a millwright, a rigger. Um, worked in uh, worked at the Bud Company his entire career for wow. forty two years. Yeah. Um, his father had worked there. Um, I worked there in in the summer. Um, yeah. uh, so uh, the assembly line is in my blood as as <laughs> our uh, automobiles. Um, my brother was an executive at Cadillac by the time I was uh, in college. So I also dropped the number one piston on Caddy V8s for a summer. So uh, <laughs> I love it. And mom stay at home with, with mom the stay kids at home. Range. A very, yeah. uh, uh, I had a, I had a blessed life. You know, I, I went to uh, the Catholic school down the street, got yeah. to go home for lunch every day and, absolutely nothing to complain about. No, no, no big childhood tragedies, happy life. And, um, uh, very fortunate. I, I, we grew up in a, uh, what I thought we, I thought we were rich, you know, I, yeah. uh, uh, we had a two bedroom bungalow and always had a nice car and, uh, went on vacation every summer to a cottage in Northern Michigan. And I thought we were rich. Um, I, and we were, uh, in, in, and in the in the value of an intact family the and, the content, and all those kind of things, yeah, and right, loving right. parents and great family, yeah. and then I went. I actually went to high school at an all boys prep school on the east side of Detroit called Austin Catholic Prep, hmm. where I was probably one of the poorer kids monetarily, and that was <laughs> when I, that was right. when I saw what monetarily rich looked like. Right, um, right. But it's uh, not always pretty. Uh, no, um, <laughs> but it, but it, it was, it, it's, it's an eye opening experience when you ride your bike to, uh, your new friend's house, uh, your freshman year and a maid opens the door when you go to, yeah, the, right. The friend's uh, house. Yeah. So, but, uh, <laughs> Interesting. great experience. Well, some of those early days, tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the, the lessons that mom and dad kind of, uh, and, and older brother, you know, dad yeah. number two, I guess, and imbibed in you and, you know, some of the things that you remember from those early Yeah, days. I, you know, I think just the classic, my, my father was someone who always put his family first, hmm. um, uh, no matter what. And, um, and I think, you know, the way they parented was in a, um, uh, a very loving, but disciplined manner. And I, and I wouldn't say uh, it, it was really just about setting expectations for right. behavior. It wasn't, uh, you know, we weren't living under the, uh, uh, living under the, <laughs> under the threat of bodily harm. It was <laughs> for some reason, you know, it was like the, the worst thing that you could have done was have your parents say, you let us down, you know, you yeah, disappointed. And, yeah, yeah. um, and I think, you know, my wife and I have four children who are now grown and, and I think that parenting style probably, uh, was what she grew up with as well. Stuck and, with you. Yeah. And yeah. so I would like to think that, uh, you know, if we get my kids on the line where they may think differently, but we just, you know, that the expectation was that you would, uh, work hard behave and be a good citizen. Right. Cool. What other influencers were there, uh, specific coaches or teachers that you remember and things that you, you know, picked I, up along the way? I had, um, I had great teachers, you know, uh, my entire life, um, great teachers. Uh, when I was in high school, 
Um, as I said, went to, you know, kind of the, the transformative experiences in my life are all related to schools. Right. Um, Austin Catholic Prep was uh, a great college prep school. Um, unfortunately, I was in the last graduating class, but mm. had some tremendous teachers there. Um, one in particular uh, who has passed on, a guy named Tom Bailey, who was the head of the English department yeah. at at Austin and who also got me involved in theater and, and public speaking mm. at, at an early time and, and great, um, great business prep classes for those. Oh, out there well, there's, there's really, <laughs> it has served, it has served me well. For Indeed. Sure. Um, Indeed. I went through uh, debate and also, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, public speaking things yeah. and, you know, I just, you, you never know when you're going through it. It's, it can be difficult, particularly for those that maybe don't have that type of personality, but, Boy, you can learn some really great habits early on. They are uh, they are skills for life, yeah, and, yeah, and serve question. me well. Were you a good student in school? I, you know, I I was. I was always a, I was always a solid uh, A minus B plus uh, right, student. Right. I think I, at at Austin I was probably in the top ten percent, but certainly never um, never in the hunt for valedictorian. I. <laughs> Um, my, uh, English, my, my verbal skills are great. My, I, and I was an economics major in, in college, but, um, uh, math does not come easily for me. I've always had to have a really good CFO. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's a good strategy anyway. (laughs) Uh, it is (laughs) regardless of how strong um, the skills uh, might be. No question. No question. (laughs) I mean, I understand the debits and the credits, but I really need somebody like that. My, uh, at my side and, and, Sport. and knowing what you need is a key, yeah. key part of that. You, know, you mentioned theater. Uh, were, were you involved in, in stage productions? And Oh yeah, I was, do? uh, yeah. We, we put on two full length musicals every year at, cool. uh, at Austin. And yeah. it, it was important because it was an all guys school. Yeah. Right. And that's where, and, and the girls from the all girls school, uh, came over to be in the play as well. And so, so they that, came into the, was, so, so it wasn't was, guys doing the female roles. No, which it, was, very uh, it was, it was, cruci- <laughs> it was crucial to get to interact with the, with the beautiful women of Our Lady Star yeah, of the Sea. Yeah. Cool. So, That's great. One of in whom sports? became my wife. So oh, when you, talk about, you want to talk about, uh, you know, wh- why school choice is transformative. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I am married to my yeah. high school sweetheart. So. Oh, that's lovely. Was she in one of the plays as well? Did she come um, over? And- she, she was, but, um, I, I laid eyes on her for the first time my freshman year. Um, I was waiting in the bleachers before a basketball game and a girl in a yellow head ski jacket walked in <laughs> and I didn't know. And you know, a lot of these guys knew each other cause they went to the same grade schools. And sure. Said, right. Yeah. They grew the up girl? there. Who's yeah. the girl in the yellow ski jacket? Yeah. And my friend Jim Vaughn said, that is Coach Pooker's daughter. Ah, and right. he was the athletic director and head football coach at Austin Catholic Prep. And I said, that is the girl for me. And he said, you are out of your mind. <laughs> yeah. When somebody gets introduced as somebody's daughter, that's always a big red Coach's flag. Coach's daughter. You know? so, um, oh, that's and, awesome, Darren. Uh, so we're, thir- we're 36 years. In, so we've, our first date, we were 15 years old, but we've mar- wow. been married for 36 now. So Congratulations. I think it's going to work out. That's great news. I and she still that. has the jacket. <laughs> I love it. Well, you went on to Alma College. Tell us about that choice. Um, and and Alma was one of the other you know experiences that that really set the trajectory of my life. Yeah. And 
Um, is it a Jesuit or? A it is uh, Presbyterian, actually. Presbyterian. Okay. Although uh, probably forty percent of the students are Catholic um, right. because it's right. you know it's a, a private liberal arts school uh, sure. in the dead dead center of Michigan, yeah. and. Um, I went there initially because at, in 1978, when I graduated from Austin, um, there was a professor at Alma College named Dr. M.J.J. Smith, who hmm. um, ran their pre-law program. Right. And M.J.J. was larger than life uh, and had a tremendous track record of getting students into um, top shelf law schools. Hmm. And at that time... Um, I was convinced that I was going to be an attorney because that was your trajectory looked, looked yeah, really yeah. cool and I could read and write and speak. So kind of right. had basic tools. And um, at Alma, I actually had the opportunity to work for an attorney while I was an undergrad. And I realized that it was nothing like it looked like on TV. Hmm. Um, and he was a general practitioner. We remain friends to, to this day. Hello, Bill Goggin. Uh, nice. Thank, thank you for, uh, um, for steering me, uh, on a path away, away from law school. But, uh, no, it was, it was a situation where, you know, you kind of realized, okay. And, and Bill did everything from, uh, divorces to criminal defense mm. to, um, outside local counsel on a product liability case for John Deere. And what I came to realize, it was like, wow, man, guilt, we're defending this guy and he's guilty. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and I never wanted to do that. Yeah, that's and there's probably the stomach, yeah, nothing yeah. more depressing than family law. Um, right. Sure. And I, so I got to my senior year, and it was like I'm not, uh, I'm not doing this. And and my family didn't have any, you know, have any money really. So I would have been going into debt to um, to get there to go to law school. And as luck would have it, um. um one of the founders of waste management, a guy named Larry Beck, hmm. was on the board of trustees at Alma while there I was there. Yeah, and I got to know Larry uh, through one of my one of my jobs was I, I worked at the president's house as a waiter and a bartender. Yeah, um, and had gotten to know Larry, and I was and I was a good student. And I was all set to, I, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I actually had, I was on track to get an offer in advertising with Leo Burnett in Chicago. Senior year, um, uh, I got called into the president's office one day and, he, and the president who uh, I had become friendly with, because uh, I worked with him, Oscar right. Remick said, what do you want to do? You know, what, what are your plans? And this was early senior year. And I said, well, um, I'm pretty sure I want to move to Chicago. Um, and I have this thing going with Leo Burnett. And he said, well, Larry, I want you to call Larry Beck because he and I were talking about you. And Larry thinks hmm. you might have something that's, that's interesting. And yeah. <clears throat> at that time they were starting a management training program at chemical waste management, which was the hazardous waste side of the business. Right. So it happened that I was, going to Chicago for a meeting with Burnett, um, had of course arranged it so that it, the meeting was on a Thursday. I would blow off Friday and spend the weekend with one of my <laughs> fraternity brothers who had already was already living in downtown Chicago. Right. And um, <clears throat> so I called Larry and he said, come on over on Friday for lunch. And I think we're going out to lunch, which 
as your college kid with no money sounds pretty great. And, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and Larry was a, a larger than life character, wonderful man. So I go to waste management's headquarters. He comes down, but he does to the lobby, but doesn't have his jacket on. He's just got his right. tie on. And he says, come on upstairs. We're going to have lunch. And I had lunch in at that. And at this time, waste management is less than a billion dollar business. Right. Right. And I had lunch with Larry, um, Dean Buntrock, who was the, the other, one of the other founders of the company, who was the chairman wow. of the board and the CEO, and another guy whose name you might recognize, Wayne Heisinga. Oh, yeah. So Wayne would go, Wayne would go on. Wayne was the vice chairman <laughs> at that time. Wayne would wow. go on to the Miami Dolphins, yep. uh, you know, CarMax, you know, kind of name it, right? Yeah. And all I... What I would give anything for would be to have a picture, which I don't, of <laughs> young twenty-one-year-old Daryl Shimmick in the, you know, trying not to spill the soup on his tie in oh the executive my gosh. dining room. At least you were wearing a tie, right? Oh, a tie and a vest at that time. This is this is 1982, man. If you were happening, you had your vest on and my and my it. shiny wingtip shoes. Great. But um, Great. in any case, uh, and and. Uh, long story longer, uh, you know, a couple weeks later, you know, they, uh, Larry comes, you know, they came back and said, Hey, we want you to come out for a formal interview. Wow. Did that. And, you know, um, 12 years later, you're, uh, progressing through the ring. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Imagine, imagine that. So I started out selling hazardous waste transportation and disposal services, um, in Northwest Indiana and, and Western Michigan that, then morphed into, um, I had the, the good fortune of get, kind of getting picked out of the chorus line to work um, in the environmental remediation business, uh, wow. which was just getting going. At, you know, the Superfund program was just starting up. And um, a guy named Ray Bach, who was uh, kind of a high flyer sales and marketing guy at Waste Management, um, picked me to, uh, to be his caddy. I, you know, we kind of joke about it, but I, he sure. realized that I could read and write and speak. And, <laughs> um, and, I, and, uh, I will, and it was one of those things where the company was growing so quickly right. that, uh, if you had a little bit of talent, there was just so much opportunity that, um, and, and I was fortunate to be there at a time when, if you worked hard and, uh, yeah. and, and could contribute, did it, but the, kind of one of a funny story that I, I tell my student, my leadership students today at Alma college is, um, I'm a little bit obsessive about my shoes hmm. because you did mention comes, the wingtips earlier. Yeah. Well, and, and my mom, <laughs> and I get this not from my dad, but from my mom, because my mom would always say, I can tell a lot about a man by looking at mm, his shoes. That's true. I've heard that Whether before. he's on his yeah. way up or on his way down. That's and, right. That's true. Um, as I had, as I progressed at Waste Management, there was one time Ray and I were on the road and, you know, having dinner. And I said, hey, I, I just got to ask you, you know, why me? You know, why'd you pick me? Yeah. And he said, well, you know, there was that one project that I, that you did a presentation on and I could see that you could, you know, you, you could read, write, and speak. He said, but then I looked at your shoes. He no goes, kidding. I judge, you know, he says, if you can't keep wow. your shoes intact, um, you can't run our business. And yeah. uh, so I'm, I'm a bit obsessive about it. That's great. I love it. What, 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 do you remember the first time you started managing people there? I do. I was, yeah. um, 
So our group was uh, in, uh, we were pursuing major remediation projects. So mm. big multi-million dollar projects. There was a big proposal team that um, worked on, you know, these big technical proposals. And um, I <clears throat> got put in charge of that team. And right. it was like, there were like four guys reporting to me who are, who were all my friends. Yeah. You know, we had, you know, I had gotten, you know, we, we had been on the same level and then I got jumped up to, Hey, you're in charge of that group. And, um, uh, some very important, you know, very important lessons. I think I was at the ripe old age of like 26 or 27. <laughs> um, um, the, one of the great lessons was we were in the midst of, and, and this, this is in the days before, everybody had laptops and everything. We're literally, you know, writing on pads right. and giving them to uh, the word processing uh, team and waiting for drafts to come back. And, and you kind of look back on it and you go, oh my God, how did we yeah, do how it? Yeah, we get stuff done back then. Huh? How did we, you know, on the IBM Selectric? <laughs> and I had a hand crank uh, calculator at one point. Yeah, in time. sure, sure. The ten key, you know. <laughs> yeah, I remember those. And uh, um, so, and 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 what that meant was there were a lot of late nights, like really yeah. late. Right. And there was one time when, hey, I was in charge, so it was like, hey, we, you got this, you got this, you got this, and I went home, and and they probably stayed till midnight. Yeah, sure. And um, and they had an intervention with me, mm. um, which was kind of like, Hey, we know you're the boss, but what the hell, you know? <laughs> and, and, and it was, you know, it was like, got it. Lesson learned. Sorry. Uh, and, and, and that's, you know, it, it kind of changes the way or, or, or was certainly formative in how I think about good leadership in that, yeah. Um, you got to be on, you know, what I call the active coal face sometimes right, with the pick right. in your hand next, next to your people. And yeah. especially in the kind of businesses that I've run, which are industrial services yep. businesses, largely, um, visible senior leadership in the field is critical. You know, right. people, our people have to see senior executives out there and it goes, yeah. yeah goes a long way. One, you know, I think a desk is a dangerous place from which to view the world and you don't learn it. You don't learn anything. <laughs> and manage right people as well, I would add. Especially. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you, you gotta be out there and it, it right. and it, it is helpful to, to your internal stakeholders because they have a chance to talk to you in their environment and you can yep. see what they're up against. Um, it's also invaluable from a customer relationship standpoint to um, know that they see the CEO out there in his boots and his uh, hard hat walking around at the at the safety meeting. Right, right, cool. Well, you've been in the C-suite, as we said in the introduction, I guess over 20 years. <laughs> a long time. <laughs> and we want to talk a little bit about Versa and, and what you do there. Sure. But Maybe before we get there, just a bit of a macro role. You know, you, you, you've worked for a number of different companies. You've been president and CEO a couple of different times. Give us kind of a, an overview of what are the most important things in that leadership arc? You know, if you thought about the things, the lessons you've learned over that period of time, 
and, you know, really had to kind of say, here are two or three nuggets that I just know work, regardless of the kind of company I've been in or the, or the workforce I've been. What, what would those be, Daryl? Um, I think, you know, a, a lot of people talk about servant leadership, and I, mm. I believe that. Um, yeah. I think that that's really important. Um, I think that uh, that is your that is your job. And I always I, I kid with um, senior leadership teams sometimes. That, you know, I, I I say as if, for instance, at Versa, there's a there's a thousand people who are who, thousand families who are hoping that we make good decisions. Yeah. And um, and I say so if you're ever having trouble staying awake at two a.m. That's what I'm thinking about, you mm. know. So, mm. uh, you know, uh, I pray for a lot of things. One of them is, please help me make good decisions. <laughs> right. Sure. Uh, and so that's your, that's your job. I, I think also, I I think it is important for leaders to be able to very clearly articulate uh, the vision and mission for the business, to be able to to um, communicate to their teams what the boundaries of the game are, meaning right. these are the behaviors we're going to tolerate and encourage, yeah. and yeah. these are the ones we're not. Right. And, Black you know, white. here's what yeah. the goal line, here's where the goal line is. And, and in most cases, get out of the way then, because if right. you've done your job of, you know, letting them know where we're going, letting them know what the sidelines look like, my experience is that more often than not, people will amaze you more than they'll disappoint. Yeah. They want to um, win. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> I don't think. Successful. I don't think most people that I know wake up and go, ah, "I think I'll do a crappy job today." <laughs> I, yeah. I'm sure there are probably some out sabotage. there, but, but I don't. I don't think that most people consciously go, "I think I'm going to do a crappy job today." Sometimes when they right. do a crappy, you know, if they do a crappy job you look first to, okay, what, you know, why? And it's, it's, did they, were they not properly trained? Were they not, uh, did they not understand what the boundaries were and, and what we're trying to get or, done? Or so, weren't given good direction. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, 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 you know, sometimes we're all human beings and we make mistakes and, and they will break, sometimes they'll break your heart. But my experience is more often than not, they'll amaze you right. if you're doing your job right. Right. Yeah. Awesome. You know, um, you mentioned a couple and, and everyone talks about the mentors they've had along the way. And, you know, you remember the names, uh, you know, we, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. Sometimes I, some of the names of my, you know, junior uh, elementary school teachers sure. and different coaches you've had along the way, but you know, there's always a few tormentors out there as well. And, and not that I want to mention, yeah, we names, won't name but, names there, <laughs> but is there behaviors that you've seen or things that you said, oh boy, man, I just know from my heart, that's not the right way. And, and, and chose to do things differently based on maybe bosses or folks yeah. that you had that, uh, yeah. Well, in a, in a, in a couple of my, uh, assignments, uh, have been, um, turnaround kind of situations yeah, right. where, um, you know, uh, kind of running into a burning building. And in, in every case, what I found is um, I was following leaders who put themselves first. Yeah. And, you know, um, uh, when, when you make it about you, bad things happen. Right. Right. And, uh, and in virtually every situation, you know, kind of gets back to how you think fundamentally about people. What I found was 
um, good people who want to do good work, who are being underserved by their leadership. Yeah. And, and so, um, and, uh, you know, bad leadership behavior that I've seen is always related to that, where, yeah. where it's about you and not about the company right. and about right. your people. You know, you're, uh, I want to talk a little bit about Versa and, and, and the company and so forth. The first question I have to ask, because you're the very first guest that we've had on the show that actually started as a CEO after the pandemic <laughs> I am started. A COVID, I am a COVID you're, CEO. You're, you're a COVID CEO. And I mean, obviously, uh, I, I would have assumed the discussions had been going on for a few months prior to that, right? No, so it wasn't, actually not. Oh, is that true? No, um, no kidding. So tell us a little so, bit about that then. I don't so want to presume anything. back in... Um, I guess it would be COVID kind of the, the COVID hit the fan kind of March of March, 19, yeah. right? Right, right. Uh, oh, no, well, no, March of 20. That was, uh, it was March uh, of 20. March yeah, March of 20. Of 20. Yeah. Right. So March of 20, um, I get a call from a former colleague of mine, a mm. guy who had been um, my vice president of health and safety at Veolia Industrial Services, Sam Harkins, right. who says, uh, and we'd stayed in touch and, and he said, boss, my company's going to need a new CEO. Would you ever take a call from the private equity sponsor? Wow. And I said, well, not looking, but always listening. So sure. sure. Let's have a, let's have a conversation. And I was doing board work, yeah. um, for a, a couple of private equity firms and, yep. and kind of still do that stuff. Been exposed to them. Uh, yeah. Um, and I think the count was probably 14 zoom meetings. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um, having never shaken a hand, uh, gone out to lunch, um, at times not wearing long pants or shoes. I'll admit it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, a, a series of interviews and we did a deal. That's to, amazing. To, yeah. uh, and so we're about 20 months in with uh, the private equity sponsor is Doralton Capital and um, great people, but um, had not seen, you know, it, it was months before we you ever saw anything. each other in, yeah. in 3D. And I literally started the job in May and, you know, conventional way of doing that is, Hey, you're the, the announcement gets made yeah, and you get on, you know, you're on, right. you're on airplanes for two sure. weeks, right. visiting as many people as you can. Yeah. And at, at that time, nobody was, you know, nobody I, was traveling. I yeah. couldn't go anywhere. It was locked so right. we had, you know, virtual meetings mm. in, <laughs> to introduce the new boss, which was, was kind of odd, but it, it, it worked out actually. And, so when I finally was able to travel and people kind of knew, you know, they'd seen my face, they were disappointed that I wasn't taller. You know, <laughs> but, um, I, so it, it, it worked out, but yeah, yeah. It, it is, um, it, it's, it's one, certainly one for the books, but I think it also, you know, not everything that comes out of COVID is going to be bad. Right. And, sure. And I think we've learned, um, you know, and, and continue to learn how to work better and smarter remotely. Um, it offers a lot of options for us. And I think, you know, it, it, it certainly has changed the way I think about travel for internal meetings, especially. Right. Um, you can get a lot done if you, and, and there's no substitute for face-to-face and we still do yeah. that a lot. Yeah. But for a lot of internal discussions, you know, you, I think, 
people have gotten more comfortable with it have, and, yeah. and it's pretty efficient. So, yeah. but yeah, I'm well, a, I'm a COVID CEO. COVID CEO. That's great. A one of a kind. Well, tell us a little bit about Versa, you know, your footprint, what you folks sure. do and, uh, and the markets you serve. Versa Integrity Group is in the testing, inspection, and certification space. Um, we are uh, do ev- the full suite of non-destructive testing and inspection services for clients in the refining and petrochemical, um, both uh, upstream, midstream, and downstream, mm. um, uh, and inspect uh, tanks, pipelines, uh, components, um, uh Anything that where there's a critical weld that needs inspection and, and it can be as interesting as uh, sometimes on space capsules and sometimes mm-hmm. on amusement park rides. Um, the company has about a thousand employees uh, across the Gulf Coast uh, all the way up to North Dakota um, and out to the out to the West Coast and also a, a footprint in the Caribbean as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Great. And it's been, you know, your wheelhouse for so many years, right? I mean, had you run into Versa before? Are they I, been I knew of, you... I knew of Versa, um, right. and, and was familiar with the inspection space, but right. because it had always been, a, I'd always been working in adjacent services. Sure. Um, but certainly know the customer base and, kind of the fundamental drivers of, uh, of the business in, in this business are the same as in any industrial services business. You know, the things that, the things that I worry about every day are health and safety. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we work in, uh, inherently dangerous environments. I, you know, I think, and I'm the chief safety officer. It's ultimately my responsibility. Uh, to make sure that our people, uh, knowing that that we're working in risky environments, that that we are doing everything we can to make sure that they go home um, the same way they came, maybe a little bit more tired, but uh, right. uh, but come home safely. Uh, three times in my career, I've had to go visit families whose fathers were mm. never coming home again, yeah. and that changes you forever. Yeah. Uh, and I will do just about anything I have to do to make sure I never have to go on another one of those. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm pleased to say that, uh, um, I'm very proud of the safety culture at, at Versa. Um, yeah. uh, our, how do you our, propagate that? Cause I, you know, we always like to talk about company culture there. Yeah. So that's such I, an important part of what it, you folks do. It is, it is really important. And, and so the way I think about safety is, and, and I, and what I tell our folks is, I can't hire enough health and safety professionals to make us safe. It's just Mm. impossible. We as the operators of the business have to own it. And, and, and everybody, every worker has to be first primarily responsible for their own safety, but also to be their brother's keeper because the health and safety department is there to help facilitate the program and coach us and monitor us and make sure we're doing uh, make sure we got the the right tools for the right jobs. But uh, the op, I am the chief safety officer, and I delegate that authority through the operating part of the company. Right. So it, it goes to the vice presidents, to region managers, and I, I think that's the only way you get hmm. high performing health and safety culture. If the if uh, 
in my experience in this space, if the CEO does not see himself or herself as the chief safety officer yeah. and articulate that, you don't have a chance. Nobody will. Yeah. Nope. Right. And, and is it something that you kind of weave into all your company communication? It's everything that, we start yeah. with. Um, yeah. yeah. We, uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting having done this a while to see the transformation of how we think about health and safety today, right. as opposed to 30 years ago, right. you know, 30 years ago, we were thinking about how to manage the response to accidents. You know, mm. it was, how do we make sure that when the accident happens, that, um, that we make, you know, can we keep it from being an OSHA recordable incident? You know, how do you manage the right. accident? Right. And now the mentality, thankfully, is um, zero accidents. Yeah. That zero accidents is the only goal that that makes sense. Right. Um, because if if you if you say, okay, well, no, we know we're going to get four people hurt yeah. every year. It's like, okay, well, which four do you want to pick? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> I don't want to be one of them. And 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 I'm very very proud of the work that the uh, that the team at Versa does. We just I think eclipsed 3.2 million man hours. Um, since our last OSHA recordable incident. Wow. So, um, and, and I don't like look, looking backwards. Our, our program is very much geared toward stop work authority and making sure that our people are looking at leading indicators, not lagging indicators. Right. And, right. But it, it is a daily, it's a daily battle. Um, we can't well, and, take and integrity is in your name. Right. It so is. It that's is an important and, part of. Yeah. And it's yeah. also the quickest way to uh, to lose a customer. Um, <laughs> right. Right. We uh, we operate, you know, for some very very highly uh, highly developed safety culture customers, and if you're not, it is table stakes. If if you're not serious as serious as they are about it, you're not coming in the gate. So, yeah, yeah. and I think at the end of the day. That's a great thing because a lot fewer people are getting hurt in our business sure. today than, yeah. than 30 years yeah. for the inspection business. Yeah. Quality. We think about quality the same way at Versa and you talk about integrity. Um, if you boil down what we do, we are providing data to our customers that they use to make really important decisions regarding asset integrity um, some life safety issues, whether right. something is safe enough to keep in operation. And so it is, it is absolutely critical, critical that yeah. our data be accurate and defensible yeah. and that they can, they can rely on it to make these big decisions. Right. And right. it's, it's just like safety. I can't hire enough QAQC people to be trailing around our right. inspectors and <laughs> to say, is this report right? Yeah. We have to own it um, the same way yeah. we own, we own safety. And, and yeah. they are both journeys. You know, you never wake up one day and go, Hey, uh, um, you know, we're, we're, we've arrived. It is a, right. it, it is a it's constant, ongoing. constant journey. And we, we have to keep getting better at it. Daryl, what do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invested in hire at uh, Versa? Um, they need to be a cultural fit. Uh, and what does, what does that mean? You know, the kind of the gate, we just talked about the gating issues, right. Um, for us, safety, quality, um, uh, people that I get involved with in, in hiring at the, at the more senior level have got to 
have a hands-on mentality to understand that uh, you have to, your behaviors have to be, you have to be worthy of the position. Right. Meaning um, uh, you're on camera all the time. Sure. Uh, And, and the people who work for you are looking at you as the leader for what behaviors to model. Right. And if you have good behaviors, they're going to model good behaviors. Bad behaviors, they're going to model bad behaviors. And as it relates to, are you really serious about safety and quality or are you just saying that? Um, I'm really serious. I'm really serious. Yeah. What's your favorite interview question? What do you, you know, obviously you get a lot of people that you, you, you interview, but they've, sure. they've been through the mill, right? You know, they've had a of chance course. to talk right. to a lot of people, the people, you know, look at them for their qualifications. I'm sure there's folks that do cultural you know, checks, but I'm, I'm always interested in what do you like to do when you're not working? Mm. Um, because, uh, we are, we are much more than the job. This is what we do. It's not who we are. Right. Um, uh, I like to know one of my favorite questions is what are you reading? Hmm. Um, and, uh, some people, you know, it, it, it's not a, you know, some people go, I don't like to read. Well, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> That's a tell. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a little bit of a tell. I, I, yeah, I think, yeah. um, you know, you don't like to read anything. Yeah, right. What about the manual you're going to have or the job you're going to do? That'd be important. And I, I, I suppose it's, I suppose it's a function of my age. I should probably ask, you know, what video game do you like? Well, there you go. Right, right, right. Good, um, cool. But yeah, I'm always, I'm, I'm very interested in, in, uh, in, in what, what is important to you? Yeah. What's important in your life? Because as, as I say, uh, you know, this is this is our job. This is what we do. It is we do it for money. This is not who you are. Right. And if you define yourself by your job or your title, which inevitably will someday go away, you will find yourself pretty empty at some point. Yeah, so. right. It's about the dash, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, you've been very, very generous with your time. Thank you. We always have one last question for all our guests. And, you know, that's kind of what career and life advice would you give someone who's maybe mid-career and has their eyes on the corner office? Um, I, I would say uh, do it. <laughs> um, you know, I think leadership is, is something that is in your blood. Hmm. Um, I think, I think you can teach people to be better leaders, but I think that if you, if you really, to do this, you have to really, really want to do it. Right. Um, and you know, all the cliches are true. It can be very lonely, um, uh, can be tough, but what I would, uh, this is advice that I give my students at Alma college every spring is, um, uh, yeah, absolutely do it. But again, the title is not who you are. It's what you do. And um, you have one box. That's your life. And you got a bunch of boxes that need to fit in there. You got a job box, obviously. Got a family box. Got a friend box. Mm. Got a personal health box. Got a faith box. And my advice is make sure that business box doesn't get so big that the other ones don't fit Mm. in because it'll be an unhappy experience for you. Great to end with that. Well, Daryl Shemek, Chief Executive Officer of Versa Integrity Group, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Brant, it's been my pleasure and thank you. 
Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.